Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Today, we're celebrating Pride Month with Alex Gino. Alex is the author of several queer and progressive middle-grade novels, including Rick, You Don't Know Everything, Jilly P., and the newly released Alice Austin Lived Here. Alex and I will talk about Melissa, which was originally published as George in 2015. The novel introduces young readers to a transgender girl who yearns to play the role of Charlotte in her school play. The book won a Lambda Literary Award and a Children's Book Award, among many other honors. It also was the most banned book in the United States for three years running. The norm is to not be accepted, which is deep and horrible, Alex told a reporter. And it's why I write books for kids, so that other kids in the next generations don't have that. Here is award-winning author Alex Gino. Hi, Alex. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be back. You were last here in 2018, and I'm delighted to introduce you to new listeners. So first, tell us about Melissa and her quest to be seen for who she really is. Sure thing. So Melissa is a fourth grade girl, uh, but no one knows it. She is transgender, and she is wanting to share who she is with the people that she cares about. And it's as simple as that. Why was it important for you to tell Melissa's story for children? Well, when I was growing up, there weren't positive representations of queer and trans kids in books. And I didn't figure out who I was until I was 19 when I found the word genderqueer in a book. So if I couldn't write the kind of story that might help make someone else's road a little easier. That is something that I'm just honored to get to do. Do you remember that book or do you remember the first time you saw yourself in the pages of a book? Absolutely. Uh, the book was called by Kate Bornstein and it's called Gender Outlaws on Men, Women and the Rest of Us. And it's a, it's a nonfiction book and I was simultaneously delighted to read in print that there was a rest of us. And also, over time, horrified that it took until I was 19 to find out that there was a rest of us. And who would I be now if I had been listened to when I was five and when I had seen people that were like me when I was five in books so that I could know that, no, there really is a rest of us and we're here. It feels like such a miracle to, for Melissa to have a dear friend, Kelly, who gets her. <laughs> I mean, a miracle, I have to say. Why don't you go ahead and read an excerpt, maybe start from the beginning. Introduce the book to our listeners. Sure thing. I will say that Melissa is not a rest of us. Melissa is a, a woman or she's a girl. She will grow up to be a woman. But we are both 
trans in different ways. So I just thought that I should mention that. So here we are at the beginning. Chapter one, secrets. George pulled a silver house key out of the smallest pocket of a large red backpack. Mom had sewed the key in so it wouldn't get lost, but the yarn wasn't quite long enough to reach the keyhole if the bag rested on the ground. Instead, George had to steady herself awkwardly on one foot while the backpack rested on her other knee. She wiggled the key until it clicked into place. Stumbling inside, she called out, Hello? No lights were on. Still, George needed to be certain the house was empty. The door of Mom's room was open and the bed sheets were flat. Scott's room was unoccupied as well. Sure that she was alone, George went to the third bedroom, opened the closet door, and surveyed the pile of stuffed animals and assorted toys inside. They were undisturbed. Mom complained that George hadn't played with any of the toys in years and said that they should be donated to needy families. But George knew that they were needed here to guard her most prized and secret collection. Fishing beneath the teddy bears and fluffy bunnies, George felt for a flat denim bag. Once she had it in hand, she ran to the bathroom, shut the door, and turned the lock. Clutching the bag in tightly wrapped arms, George slid to the ground. As she tipped the denim bag on its side, the silky slippery pages of a dozen magazines fell out onto the tiled bathroom floor. Covers promised how to have perfect skin. Well, fresh summer haircuts, how to tell a hottie you like him, and wild winter wardrobes. George was only a few years younger than the girl smiling at her from the glossy pages. She thought of them as her friends. If George were there, she would fit right in, giggling and linking her arms in theirs. She would wear a bright pink bikini and she would have long hair that her new friends would love to braid. They would ask her name and she would tell them. My name is Melissa. Aww. The book is so incredibly moving and the writing is exquisite. Now, you say you didn't know your full identity until you were 19. I'm guessing you knew you were a writer before then. Yeah, I mean, I was a writer from before I could write, which is to it. say that I would dictate stories and my parents would write them down for me. I believe it. It's so wild. So then when did you start to write professionally? Like, what was that like, that journey to becoming a, a professional author? I had graduated from college and I thought for a little while that I no longer liked reading because I wasn't very good at reading adult fiction books. They tend to be long and boring. No offense. Um, and so... <laughs> I started reading younger books again for comfort and said, well, what, this is, this is what I like to read. Why don't I try writing this? And this idea of having a book with a trans characters, it seemed like, well, it's not, it, I can't buy it. So let me just start playing with it. Um, wrote it in about maybe two or three years, had a draft together and started showing it to people. And that's when the revisions really started to kick into place. <laughs> um, I would say that this book is 90% revisions. Um, oh, wow. I, I spent 12 years writing it. And that's part of why it has so many layers and things to it is because there's all sorts of things that I put in 
and then took out again, but left behind bits of what turns into a full story just by leaving lots of detritus. Interesting. And I want to say that this book originally was named George and it's now Melissa, which is the name we want it to be. Absolutely. And that's part of how quickly culture is shifting. Just as this book wouldn't have existed 15 years ago, seven years ago when it was published, no one really noticed it. And I showed it to plenty of trans people and none of us had the recognition that a kid should and deserves to be called who they are. And looking back on it, it's obvious. That's how culture shifts are. But it's it's all very fast. Right. Well, it must feel great now. It's pretty fantastic. <laughs> and young readers have the book in their hands, better yet. And it's such a gift. What have you heard from some of your young fans? I'm eager to hear. I have heard so many positive, wonderful stories of people who were able to figure out who they were because they saw Melissa or people who were able to tell someone who they were, right? The book doesn't make someone trans, but it gives tools for talking about it. I've also, I love hearing from adults who say like, this is the book that I wish I had when I was a kid. I think perhaps my favorite interaction is it just, it endears me. Uh, Mom told me that she had read it with her six-year-old child and her six-year-old child had come back and said, my stuffed bunny is trans. Uh And it's such, if you know anything about Piaget and, and developmental stages, it is a play focused way of incorporating new information and new ideas. And it, she never said, oh my gosh, I might be trans. She never questioned herself. She said, what would I do if someone I knew came out to me as trans? How would I react? How would I celebrate them? And to the, to the face of people who were worried about the age appropriateness of content, that to me says it's about respecting people and people of all ages know how to do that. That is so interesting. And there is a play within the book <laughs> as, well. Yes. as well. Charlotte. Charlotte's, Charlotte's Web. Web. Charlotte's it makes Web. An appearance. And it's, it's very um, true to queer and trans culture and history to be involved in theater. And in some ways, putting on a mask is a way that you can reveal yourself. Oh. And I was going to ask you who some of your favorite authors were growing up. I'm guessing E.B. White was among them. E.B. White is definitely on the list. Judy Bloom is, of course, on the list. I absolutely loved The Phantom Tollbooth growing up. There were also plenty of books that I liked that I might not recommend now. And there are so many books that exist now that I wish I had had then. Oh, that's amazing. I think this book is wonderful, not just for children who may be transgender, but for all children 
to help build empathy and understanding. Thank you. Yeah. And, and yes, trans people are, are at risk of violence. They're at risk of self-harm. So seeing themselves in books is incredibly important. And they're also at risk of violence from other people, in particular, trans women of color. And so if people grow up, cisgender people, people who are not in any way queer, who don't really connect with queer culture in any meaningful way, still have a touchstone to trans culture, to queer culture. If and when they encounter someone who is queer or trans, it's not a shock. It's not a surprise. There isn't that risk of violence. There isn't that risk of othering. And golly, that's important. And also there's the hope of acceptance and love and nurturing. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's the hope that if you see a person for a person, you see a person, which right. sounds silly, uh, but hopefully the the cadence to that made it make some sense that a character in a book can be real in the sense of they have thoughts, they have beliefs, you're inside their mind in a way that you're often not inside the minds of real people. So if my book can help someone respect who's in the world, that's invaluable. It truly is. And we both know what an amazing thing it is for children to have this book. And yet, as is often the case when great strides are made, there's a bit of backsliding. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and it seems to happen, especially with people who are marginalized. Don't ask me why. This book has been targeted by those who ban books. What has that been like for you? What has that emotional journey been like? So the funny thing about it is, is that my book would not have been banned 20 years ago. Right. Because my book wouldn't have existed 20 years ago. Something needs to be ex to exist and something needs to be recognized in order to be challenged. If something is pushed under the rug and pushed behind the shadows, you it's it, it's forced there. You don't have to tell it not to come out. Uh, but when it's out in the world, that's when people get scared. Oh. And you're right. It is absolutely who's been marginalized and who has since got in some sort of agency, some sort of power. Uh, that visibility is what frightens people. And that's true both for LGBTQIA people plus people now. And it's also true in terms of the books that are being challenged based on talking about racism and police violence against black folks, because we are talking about it. And the second it gets talked about is when people clamp down and freak out. It seems then like power, there's a zero sum game with power and that people are concerned that when marginalized groups get some power and get their voice, well, that's too much. We have to shut them down because we may lose power. Right. It's just as if there's a limited amount of pie. Right. Um, right as if right. it's pie. And the thing <laughs> is, is that 
when folks are asking that the center be expanded to include more folks, people who are at the center hear that as the circle moving away from them. And that's not what it is. It's about bringing more people into the circle. You're still in the circle, too. You're just not the only thing in the circle. Right. What is your hope for 10 years down the road? Where do you think we'll be with this dialogue? Uh, Those are two very different questions. My hopes and what I think will happen. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair. Um, My hope is that my book is old-fashioned and dumb and boring. And why is everybody up in arms about this trans kid? What do I think will happen? I think it's going to be a lot more complicated. I think it's going to be back and forth. Uh, But young people are fierce and they will not be pushed down and they're going to become old enough to vote. And they're going to be adults in this world who grew up in a world where they read books with trans kids in them with kids who are autistic in them, with kids who are dealing with immigration issues in them. And so they will be adults who are more prepared to work with and through these things. So if the climate doesn't fall apart, I am hopeful for the future. <laughs> but it's, it's, I mean, it, 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 it's real touch and go. We're, we are, we, humans are real good at pushing that line. I I absolutely agree. I do think there's no chance that Melissa is ever going to be deemed dumb and boring. I think it's a classic. I have to say I wanted to I wanted to not make sense to kids why she can't just tell people who she is. That would be lovely. Now, something tells me nothing is going to stop you, Alex. So I want to know what you're working on and what comes next for you. Absolutely. I have a book coming out. It's called Alice Austin Lived Here. And Alice Austin was real. She was an early photographer who lived on Staten Island, which is where I grew up. And she did not call herself a lesbian because that was not the language at the time. But she lived the larky lifestyle is what she did say. And she had a a woman partner for 50 years. Side note, her partner's name was Gertrude. So there's another oh. Alice and Gertrude in the world. <laughs> oh, my uh, goodness. For those who know Gertrude Stein. And so it takes place where I grew up. Alice Austin actually lived in the building where my main character lives, which is the same building I grew up in. Late in her life, she actually lived there. And I didn't learn until college both that she was queer and then in history, searching that she was queer, found out that she lived in my building. But my main characters don't have to wait till they're adults to find that out. My main character, Sam, is non-binary, has a non-binary best friend, and they find out about Alice Austin to get her put up as a statue at Barrow Hall. Uh, Sounds like a great book. I'm very excited. And Scholastic is so good at giving me taglines. Uh, Melissa's tagline is be who you are. Right? I didn't write that. Scholastic gave <laughs> that to me, bestowed that to me. And on this one, it's we were always here because there are queer and trans people throughout that building and throughout Sam's life. And I don't want to show one kid surviving anymore. I want to show my community thriving. 
Good for you, Alex. We are so lucky to have you in the world and have you writing. I am delighted to be here. Is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap up? Yes. So going back to that thing of challenges, I want to recognize that challenges often fail. And so when we talk about, oh, book banning, it sounds like a thing that is done and done. It is not done and done. It is someone coming in to a library that is already curated, that is already prepared by a professional who went to school and instituting an appeals process. So if that library has a process in place, it's much more daunting rather than if it's just, oh, this person's causing chaos. Uh, The more libraries are prepared and the more that we are prepared and the more that we recognize that these are people, these are just people pushing. And we can push right back the more we can say, this is not their game. And they will lose this game because there are so many more of us and a push in this country that is based on not respecting the rights of people, even though they may be young and is based on anti-free speech. It's just a losing game. And so we have to make sure they lose. My great thanks again to Alex Gino for joining me today. And thank you for listening. To learn more about Melissa and other LGBTQIA titles, check the show notes or go to scholastic.com slash podcast. Special thanks to producer Bridget Benjamin, associate producer Constance Gibbs, sound engineer Daniel Jordan, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.